Welcome to Hollywood Unguide, the Sycamore Gap of political podcasts. Season 6, Episode 6, I am your host, David McLemon. I'm broadcasting for the Blind Tire Free State, and joining me this evening is the godfather of Ungagged, the man who always gets his pizza the action, it's Brian Short Finley. My God. <laughs> These puns just get better and better, don't they? Wow. And intru- introducing the third member of this evening's triumvirate, Badger State by birth, old Ricky by choice, it's Cat Carey. See, we've got a research from into that. That one was amazing. I really, I enjoyed that. Thank you, David. No bother. I'm learning my forte of writing these wee intros just as AI comes in and takes over that kind of thing. Yeah. AI has its place. Like you can read articles in different languages now, but yeah. It's Don't get me re- started on AI. It's really good. It's really good for like banal things. You know, like, you know, I was at work and somebody had agreed to write a newsletter and then obviously regretted it. But by the time they regretted it, it was like they'd promised it to my boss. And I was like, well, you kind of agreed to it. And it involved like an introduction. And I just asked the AI to write it. And honestly, because it was just a kind of bland thing, it done it brilliantly. It was excellent. But I think it still struggles with anything more interesting than that. So if you if you if you if you if you write Hallmark cards, I think you might be in trouble. I think that <laughs> might be gone. I think Aaron and I will be doing a talking sense discussion on that because similar to IQ tests, AI could be um, geared towards cishet, white, patriarchal, privileged, garbage in. It's the data that they put in has been put in by a specific also, sector of people. Also, IQ is only designed for children. That's like they extrapolate it to include adults, and apparently, it doesn't really transfer properly. I read that anyway, so years ago. It also isn't great at at, at uh, testing people who are minority ethnic. So, yeah, I've done IQ tests that are very ethnocentric, where it'll ask you like to add up, you know so many quarters and dimes, and I'm thinking, well, that may be quite easy if you're American, but if you don't know what a dime is, you'll struggle with that. Yeah. How did we go on to this? Anyway, how is everybody? How's your weekend been? Mine's been okay. Um, Almost back to full-time at work again, so I've been a little bit tired. Uh, We had a house guest over the week, uh, so I missed my my football team, the Green Bay Packers, getting absolutely trounced on Thursday by... division rival i'm glad to have missed it um and right now tyler's team so my i'm a fan in law of the miami dolphins they're playing a division rival right now so i'm all hopped up on adrenaline nice mine's been good mine's has been good went for a nice uh curry yesterday with my folks in the afternoon that was nice and then basically i've just made soup and red and housework the usual Rock and roll. Living honestly, just living the life. Living the dream. Yeah, I was no well the other day, but feeling better now. One of the kids was off school on Friday and she was all excited because she feels better today. And she was like, I feel great. She says, I think what cured it was sleeping in my sister's bed. It was like, that may be why your sister's sick today. <laughs> but, um... I will say something I did this weekend. I um or n- not this weekend over the week because we had a house guest. Both the kids slept in our bed with me, and Tyler slept in the loft. And oh man, that was 
interesting. <laughs> They're getting too big for us all to do that. Yeah, we, we've got like a super king now because I've got four kids and it's still not enough room when some of them start piling in. But um, I, I think in hindsight, so they ain't a super king, we should just get two double beds and put them together. Just the extra space. Yeah. Also, Drag Race UK started this week, so I watched that on Friday night. It was nice. There's a drag queen called Kate Butch, which I thought was really, really good. <laughs> uh, well, Are I was there watching... any Scottish drag queens? No Scottish queens. Well, no I'm drag kings yet. Mm. No drag kings either. Disappointing. Mm. Come on, RuPaul. I was watching the football yesterday, which was turned up well. Celtic in a very late winning goal, and then Rangers get beat, so it was double joy. Rangers lost an arm for the day they were celebrating Armed Forces Day. Terrible shame. Anyway, let's get uncagged. Okay, let's get started. Prominent figures in the far right have been lining up to praise Home Secretary Suella Braverman's speech in which she warned of the existential challenge posed by illegal migration and vowed to capitalise on her intervention. The Home Secretary has already caused concern among Liberal Tory MPs over her threats to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. In a speech in Washington DC last week, she suggested that being gay or a woman and fearful of di discrimination should not be enough to qualify as a refugee in the UK. However, intervention received support from established far-right groups in the UK. Mark Collette, a former protégé of BNP leader Nick Griffin, who now leads Patriotic Alternative Group, was amongst those to endorse Braverman's address. So Ella Braverman has basically admitted multiculturalism has failed and that mass immigration is a threat to the West. I don't think it's a good sign when a government minister is getting praise from people who are openly fascist. What do you think, Brian? I would agree. I think uh, Sorella Braverman is uh, setting herself up for our leadership pitch, um, to be honest. Uh, obviously, all polls are suggesting that uh, Labour is going to win the next general election, which means Tories will go into opposition, we can assume. Um, therefore, there will be a, a new leadership challenge, again, I'm assuming. Um, and it looks like Sorella Braverman's just kind of sitting at her stall a little bit and then being praised by the people like that is a real, real concern. Um. The actual content of the speech, like you said, so, you know, about being a woman uh, or being a queer person, being a gay person, um, you know, just to face discrimination is not enough. Um, the actual percentage of these claims that go down that route is between one and a half percent, two percent. OK, so we're talking about, you know, one and a half, two percent of um, asylum claims in the UK, which is minuscule um, and it seems like an easy target. Um, when you go through the process like that to try and prove that you are gay or queer um, is pretty difficult for someone who's probably been hiding their sexuality their whole life. Um, so there is that particular challenge. Um, you know, discrimination in itself takes many, many forms. Obviously, you've got persecution, which Suella Bradman tried to kind of caveat, saying, of course, people that experience um, persecution um, should be welcomed as a refugee, but then went on to say, you know, women being gay, you know, discrimination is not enough. Perhaps we should just be more welcoming in general. Uh, I think being an inclusive society would be 
the the polite and positive and and the right thing to do. But obviously that's not really what Suella Braverman is particularly interested in doing. So, um, and, and it's funny because when we decided to to talk about this, you know, because I've been listening to, unfortunately, for quite some time, lots of different Suella Braverman speeches and they all just sort of sound the same, but it's almost like you could just caveat it with a different minority and that's where it becomes really, really quite depressing. So, you know, we can, we, you know, if we talk about multiculturalism has failed, well, how has it failed? You know, if people are not integrating in society, why is that? You know, if people are unhappy with their society, why is that? And I would probably say it's the government that we've had in the UK for the past 13 years that may have contributed to that. And perhaps the economic model that we have in the UK perhaps has contributed to that. So um, if I was Sarah Braverman, I'd probably want to look a little bit closer to home as to why people believe or feel that multiculturalism has failed. Because I've lived in a lot of um, communities and, and areas where there is a huge diverse a community and all seems pretty positive to me. Caveats, of course, with uh, things that the Tories have inflicted on vulnerable people. Is it Braverman or Braverman? Uh, oh, I don't know. Braverman? Is it mem or meme? Like, just say it how you want, really. I doubt yeah. she'd really take any time to uh, oh. pronounce our names right. That's true. Yeah. But it's definitely meme. Just saying. It's definitely meme. No. Mem, I don't know. I've heard, people call, I've heard people call it a Mimi, which is definitely yeah, wrong. That's wrong. Silent E. Cat, your thoughts? <laughs> well, I I refuse to listen to her actual speech this time. And, and like Brian said, because they're all running together. Um, it's it's upsetting. It's infuriating, but that's what she wants, right? That's That's what the whole goal is. And whether or not she believes these things, she's more than willing to capitalize on it. I tend to think that she means it because she doesn't seem like she's that talented to pull it off otherwise. Um, I think I, I've seen there's leaked WhatsApps now from Tory members or oh, grassroots Tories. So like not anybody worth naming, I guess. Um, grassroots Tories vote to go to war with the party's liberals. So who are the Tories at war with right now? Uh, they're at war with the woke with um boat small boats with cars now or or they're on the war not against cars they're at a war for cars for cars, cars, cars again last week against, for cars against boats we don't know where they stand in hovercrafts yet <laughs> that's a good one um and yeah i lost my train of thought but oh they're at war with the liberal wing of their own party the liberal tory which to me is oh. I know. Which I one know. time might have been quite a centrist to be a liberal Tory, but God knows what a liberal Tory believes in now, you know. No. Um, There's got to be a few of them left in there, but not many. Um, it's just like, who's that centrist guy that used to be uh, in the, used to be a spy and then he quit the Tories. He ran for London mayor. He looks like a uh, skeleton. Yeah, he does the podcast. Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart. Yeah, he was like, the Scottish Tories, they've got it going on. He said that very, very recently. I'm like, I told you guys, I told you all, he's not okay. No. That's just how bad they are down south. Um, but I, I do think that, as we talked about last week, it's just like every conservative movement across democracies, 
the population is getting older. They're not going to win more votes with the message they're on. They're never going to change their messaging because they don't want to lose the votes they have. Uh, so they're just relying to parlor tricks and hate spewing, you know, scaremongering and uh, voter suppression to try and hang on to whatever. And I, I surely hope that they're in opposition so we don't really have to worry about who their leader is <laughs> as much. Um, but yeah, it's a very concerning time. Uh, talking about conservatives in other parties, social and economic conservatives, uh, Fergus Ewing was suspended for a week um, from the S&P, and he has turned this into his own culture war against his own party. So just another way that he is very similar to Tories, I guess, is he's a saying that he thought his party was for Scotland, which apparently he thinks means for him in his personal opinions. So, you know, we've got conservatives in all different parties, I guess, doing their thing. Would, yeah. Did his did his mum not get the nickname Madame Scotland? So Madame maybe so maybe he thinks he's Mister Scotland now. He's inherited. Well, it. so he said, "I wanted to gather you all here to make a statement for a press conference after his after the the internal party meeting that he brought a lawyer to, and and the first word he said, I after saying I'd like to say a word was, I was literally born into the independence movement. So his second sentence reference his mommy, which, you know, I, I thought that was, I thought that he would have more to say, right? Because he does have constituents up there who do agree with him on a lot. Um, but he really leans into that. This is my mommy. Haven't you, don't you love my mommy? You know, it's kind of, kind of sad for a middle-aged man. He'd still be relying on his, the memory of his mother. Eh? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And to everyone who's said something about his face, his face really is that color red. And I just hope he's staying healthy because despite disagreeing with him and, and thinking he's a huge, huge problem, I want him to stay alive and I hope he's being healthy. So um, yeah, stay alive, Fergus, stay healthy. And uh, we can just disagree democratically. Getting back to um, Suella Braverman. Um, I mean, there's a bit, there's, there's a great irony of claiming multicultural culture, multiculturalism has failed when she's serving in a government where three of the four great offices of state, as are traditionally known, are held by the children of immigrants, and she's one of them. Mm -hmm. How can how can you say multiculturalism has failed when your parents were immigrants and now you hold one of the four most powerful positions in the country? It just doesn't make any sense. And what and what by what definition is that a failure? You know, because a community that doesn't integrate isn't going to like within one generation have have um, members of the community in the cabinet. I think the difference is when Tories talk about integration, what they mean is assimilation. Mm -hmm. They want you to integrate so completely you lose any sense of you know Self. what your, your culture is. You know, um, I I don't know why they're so threatened to be things like you know the. Uh, completely forgot about the name of the big um, the the big kind of Mardi Gras festival in London. You'll remember, Brian, you live in London. Yeah. Do you mean Notting the Hill. carnival? Notting yeah, Notting Hill carnival. Yeah. Like, why are they so like offended or threatened by these expressions of multiculturalism? It's bizarre. It's 
I think it just runs um, against the Tories' view of individualism anyway. So what Suella Barnum is talking about is all these people you know, from different cultures and, and diverse communities are just living parallel lives. Well, isn't that what Toryism is all about? It's about individualism. It's about nuclear family. It's about, you know, each and everyone looking after themselves. So perhaps, like as I touched on earlier, it's the economic model and the breakdown of, of solidarity and, and community in general that's the failure. So, you know, regardless to where people come from, if they're encouraged to rely on family, rely on themselves and not the state, um, and not, you know, uh, you know, people working collectively, whether it be <clears throat> workers and trade unions, for example, or just communities in general, then everyone's gonna live in parallel everyone's gonna operate in parallel lives to each other because that's what individualism is all about. It just it just seems weird to me. I don't know if I'm just going off on a bit of a tangent and ranting a bit, but it just seems weird to me that, <clears throat> you know, it was just that one really stuck with me, the parallel lives. And it's like, well, if you break down all collective spaces, right, that are free to access, so public services, you know, defunding spaces that are free to to for people to meet, right, you know, sure, start centres, you know, we, we can criticise labour for that, but starting them up and, and having this, drive for young people in communities to come together and, and share different experiences and learn all these skills and just have fun and, and hang out you know if you start acts and services like that well yeah of course people are just going to live parallel lives because there's nowhere for people to collect it just just so I mean, weird to I, me. I do i do think that that what you're saying brian is completely on point what when you're talking about who she's speaking to and whose vote she's trying to get because when i think of you know my grandparents who are past, I, I still have two grandparents that are alive, but the two that have passed and, and like my grandparents-in-law and, and other older people that I've known, you know, no matter how they sit, a lot of them were quite conservative, the ones that have passed. Um, and they were always worried about their family coming and seeing them, that nuclear family. They're worried, you know, a lot of old folks are worried about being put in a home. That's kind of a, a thing that people say, right? Um, like, no, I want my family to take care of me. Maybe it's not a thing people say around here, but that's in my experience in America, they do. Um, so I think a lot of this talk about your nuclear family and how important it is, even if they, even if it's not directly a multicultural argument, it, it gets into people's emotions in that way. Um, and it's very easy to scare, scare people sometimes when they're in a vulnerable state. So, I mean, if nothing else, the people on this island, we're all vulnerable to... Uh, the ways of the world right now, the situations. Mm -hmm. But it's a bit of a kind of contradiction and sort of conservatism that, you know, they do have this kind of, you know, extreme individualism, but at the same time, you know, I think we spoke about it last week, desperate for people to do national service. So it's like yeah. on one hand, complete individualism and then complete assimilation into some kind of collective and worship to the state or the you know, certain institutions. I think because mm -hmm. they want their state to be individualistic, right? They don't want to be part of the European Union. They want to do uh But yeah, I get what you're saying. And also, mm -hmm. if you want people to, you know, and this is this is one of the arguments where, and it's and it's such a, a right wing talking point where like people come here and don't learn the language and they don't integrate and they don't do this and they're like, well, you have consistently made that harder. So you mm -hmm. you defund colleges for example or access support and you know public services in general so you're like okay so if you want people to 
quote-unquote learned the language there's loads of languages in the british isles um but you know if you want people to what they're talking about english well why don't you provide these services then so if that's what you want to achieve then then provide it make it accessible for people just don't criticize people for for not apparently doing the right thing it just makes no sense to me that you know if you want people to stop living parallel lives well make it easier for them you know it is and it spans into all policies like you're saying it's like you know like national service and, and all these different things but even look at like you know cutting public transport and making that individualism get in your car you you you've got this freedom you've got this well you know it's just all about individualism but it's just so weird so so strange and it always just seems when minorities are not acting the way that they want them to do then then it's a problem that's basically what it comes down to, right? And it's and it's trying to pitch to their base, right? Because the Tories are so desperate. You know, the polls are fluctuating a little bit just now, but, you know, for the past, what, nine months, they've been about 20 points behind Labour, right? So what they're trying to do is mobilise their base, right? So that they can perhaps deny the Labour Party of an overall majority or a big majority or whatever it is. But, yeah, like the whole message is just so, so weird. It just doesn't make any sense. But then, of course, if you're targeting people who you know, like you said, might might be scared about change. Well, I'm more petrified about where we could be if we continue on this track, let alone, you know, if we actually had a government that was inclusive and, and you know, saw the benefits of, of you know, people from different cultures living together. Do you know what I mean? Because, I mean, you know, just one example, like, you know, when I lived uh, down in, in northwest London, you know, I, all, all my neighbours were from all over the place, right? And, you know, during Ramadan, there was like, you know, the, the, like people were giving out, food and, and curries and, and different things it, it was actually really quite incredible uh, and then Diwali and, and all these different things, all these different parties going on and it was inclusive, nobody was living parallel lives, they were just living their lives <laughs> just, to me it just is so, so bizarre Also the people that are most scared of multiculturalism are the places where it doesn't exist, you know the people that okay. voted in UKIP were usually the whitest places in the country you know, like I think there was a kind of inverse map about some of the places that are the most concerned about things like immigration or the least likely to have any immigrant community at all. And it's it's the fear of something that's far more prevalent than the actual thing they're supposedly frightened of. Because the people that get exposed to that realise there's nothing to be scared of. That's yeah, it's also true. And it's like people saying, Oh, our high streets aren't even ours anymore. Well, First of all, it's like, you know, a third of shops are empty, but then they'll get upset if there's like a Polish food shop. Like, I'm just like, uh, it just makes no sense to me. No, no sense to me whatsoever. It's just weird. Because because their nuclear families don't matter if they're doing it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, let's, you know, if we if we break away from the nuclear family in general and, and society was a lot more collective, it was a lot more inclusive and there was more places to congregate and you didn't, you know, because if you think about it, libraries are one of the only places you can go in a town that you don't have to spend money to sit and be together. Like, or, or, you know, it just makes it so, so bizarre. Like if you want people to, to integrate or you want people to, to live collective lives and not live parallel lives, then make that easier by stop defunding services that allow people to do that the other the other part of your speech as well about um being gay or a woman and fearful of discrimination doesn't qualify yet to be a refugee i mean being f fearful of discrimination is quite a, a kind of 
light way of describing it. You know, there's still plenty of countries where being gay is illegal. There is plenty of countries where being gay is punishable by death. So it's not just that there's people there's people scared of um, discrimination. It's people scared of being executed. Um, and also, it wasn't so long ago that there was people like Suella Braverman screaming for us to continue the war in Afghanistan because they were so worried about women's rights. And now suddenly it's like, you know, they want to send women back to Afghanistan then uh, because, well, fear of discrimination by the Taliban isn't, they, isn't they enough now, apparently. It's just so disingenuous and so two-faced. And... Mm-hmm. But you... Yeah, so... I... Oh, sorry, go ahead. On you go, Kat, on you go. I was going to say, I haven't really gotten too deep into this because Aaron and I are recording our next Talking Sense tomorrow evening and, and we're going to be discussing this uh, more about... Uh, immigration, uh, women, queer people, uh, stuff like that. But yes, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, David. But yeah, even even taking a step back from the 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 states where you know being gay is punishable by death or imprisonment or or other sort of legal interventions. But if you're saying, well, you know, discrimination is not enough for for you to flee and seek asylum somewhere, it's like, well, so if you're not allowed to work. You know, some of these states that where you know where people can be let go because they find out that they're they're queer or, or they're exposed or you know, whatever it might be. It's like, oh, so what you're not allowed to come here if you can't find a job to provide for you, your partner, your wider family. Is that not okay? It just <clears throat> you know, just kind of putting it's almost like, you know, they, they say they talk about persecution, right? But then it's like you know, persecution is a, a continuum as well, right? But but then that would overlap with discrimination. But you, they don't want to have these kind of nuanced discussions, right? So, but why target, you know, if we're talking about women and we're talking about gay people, and you're just like, well, why don't we just let people come here? You know, just and and again, it, it's so just disingenuous to say, no, we realise you suffer, your community suffers discrimination when you're coming from. But it's not actually persecution yet. So once they start killing you, we might then consider um, changing our stance on that. But this wait is... till they actually kick your door in in the middle of the night before trying to, you know, flee. Um, I've saw a lot of kind of comparisons between our speech and the Enoch Powell Rivers of Blood speech. One caveat that I've, missed, I've not seen any dimension is Enoch Powell gets sacked for the Shadow Cabinet for making that speech. That was how radical that was back then that it was beyond the pale for for like the 1960s conservative party so that's where we are now that you know the, the current Tory party is less tolerant than it was like 60 years ago and I think 1960s was not like you know a haven of uh, tolerance I think uh, it's but- safe to say at this point I mean a lot of the media coverage has talked about how keeping her in the cabinet is weakening Sunak and you know she got sacked out of Truss's cabinet so I don't know why she's in place I don't know why um, keeps her. I mean this is just my view on things that I just thought it was a bit weird when you know Rishi Sunak's coming into to, to government and 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 uh, at that point Suella Braverman was back in Rishi Sunak I think when she stood and she was unsuccessful she's like I'm going to back Rishi Sunak and those two you know for how horrendous both of these people are in terms of their politics and outlook and inclusivity. They're not on the same level of of Tory, in my opinion. But 
I find it odd that this person then comes out in, in support of, of Rishi Sunak and, and then becomes Home Secretary after being sacked. Like six that? days before or something? Yeah, it was. she was out the role for six days and then was remade in, into to Home Secretary. So, you know, you can read between the lines and, and kind of show that there's clearly some sort of deal there. I mean, that's just speculation. I would never want to put that on, you know, as fact. It's just my opinion. But, um, you know, you can certainly make your, your links there. I think we'll move on to our next topic now. Scottish Labour have been accused of a betrayal of Scotland's workers after refusing to sign a motion calling for the devolution of employment law to Holyrood. Scottish Labour previously supported the, the devolution of employment rights in their 2021 manifesto, but not a single MSP joined um, SNP in calling for increased powers to be given to the Scottish Parliament. This was not the only U-turn from the Labour Party, as they have also dropped plans to end charitable status for private schools in England and Wales if they win the next election. Cat. Oh man, Labour has U-turned on employment, devolution of employment laws so many times because this was part of their um, platform for campaigning for devolution is promising devolution of employment law. And I know nobody watches members' business debates at Scottish Parliament. I watch some of them. I don't watch all of them. But this one was such a banger. It was so good. And I'm also, as sad as it is to not see some of the people I really think are talented in the government, there's some real talent in, in the SNP's backbenches that are being that's like on full display because this was Keith Brown's motion he's deputy leader of the SNP the timing of it the the phrasing of it really showed his political talents at a showing where labor was failing and and not living up to what they say they're living up to b none of them were able to uh campaign in Rutherglen that evening <laughs> um there was more labor MSPs in Holyrood that day than than usual lately. Um, and yeah, Maggie Chapman, who was a part of the Smith Commission, really, really called out their hypocrisies because um, they were saying, we want, it's not that we don't want to devolve deployment, uh, employment law. What we want is to get to a baseline across the UK. She's like, Northern Ireland has default employment law. So whatever you're saying is complete horseshit right now you don't even understand your own policies and the policies of the four nations of the uk so i thought all of that was great i really highly recommend watching it um unfortunately i don't know how 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 much everybody like this will matter to voters on the doorstep or anything but yeah labor labor's just a shit show you could tell a lot of the people were speaking and it weren't very happy but the thing was that labor campaigned on devolved employment law when the smith smith commission came to negotiate on it they vetoed it labor was the party that said no for no other reason than to say no you guys want independence so no you're not getting it now you're not getting devolved employment law screw you um, maybe there was better excuses given at the time. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I thought, I mean, there's a lot of other U-turns to talk about, as David listed. There's also the kind of rhetoric of, of talking about Keir Starmer saying, well, whatever I say, Annis says, like his word. Annis is just a little puppet that Keir Starmer talks and it comes out of his mouth sometimes um, for the Scottish Labour leader, Annis Sarwar. There's also 
um, there was a clip I saw today about Keir Starmer saying, well, the Scottish government can't even run a deposit return scheme. And it's like, yes, they could. The, you know, the Tory government, like, blocked it. Otherwise, like, we never actually got the attempt to run it, actually, Keir. Um, but Labour has never hesitated to insult voters' intelligence and speak down and encourage them not to understand, which is, you know, why they don't get my vote. I mean... I I couldn't believe it when he said that it was it was like something that you would read in like a Facebook post like a, or a comments page, um, yeah, and the, his quote which one which one the the one about the uh, deposit return scheme you know and it's you know just somebody chipping in that's completely ignorant of the facts and just like uh sort of heard something in the news and posting it you know and this is somebody that's likely going to be the next prime minister but. Either I just completely uninformed in the details of that, or more likely just, you know, is treating everybody else as if they're uninformed and he thinks he'll get away with it. Um, Brian, thoughts? Yeah, just kind of briefly before I go into the employment law stuff, because that's obviously <laughs> one of my really, really favourite things to talk about. Um, the private schools thing was not a complete surprise at all um i seen this coming um it seemed to be one of the only policies that labor seemed to be holding on to because you know there was u-turns and pirouettes happening all over the place and basically every single area of of reserved policy um but for england and wales specifically when it comes to to private schools and they were saying that obviously they were going to remove charitable status and they were going to charge them full vat right so the full vat still stands just now um and i think that that will go eventually because this is this is the kind of what tends to happen is you've got these and i'm going to say quote unquote bold um commitments from labor and then there'll be little bits peeled away right um we've started to already see it with the zero contract commitment as well which is my my it's my hobby horse okay i like to talk about this a lot because it's really really important um but we're already starting to see these discussions around more of a sort of the third way about getting rid of zero contracts whereas you need to completely remove the power from employers to enforce this on the workforce in the first place it's not going to be something that's like hey guys let's do this because it's going to be so much better for everyone it, it doesn't work like that right employee relations doesn't work like flexibility that flexibility yeah flexibility if flexibility is so good and zero contracts is so good why don't you make it like a um flexible working request and therefore it can be negotiated and then put in a contract but it doesn't work that way because it's better for the employer okay yeah, not, not that kind of flexibility not that kind of flexibility not the one that works for you right the one that works for me right so um that i was not surprised about at all when it comes to the um private schools and I don't believe that there'll be the full 20% of VET by the time we get to the Labour Manifesto, right? So you know, you, this is recorded you can laugh at me if it actually does end up in the Manifesto, but mm, I'm not really feeling like it's going to be, okay on the I devolution, mean it might be, but then they'll uh, they'll roll back on it once they're elected, maybe Yeah, <laughs> and, then it, and I mean it doesn't even matter what happens at their conference anyway, because they adopted PR, didn't they, apparently about a year and a bit ago or whatever it is, and you know, that doesn't seem to be any further forward. So again, that's just a waste of time too. So anyway, um, devolution of employment law. Um, Pat, you touched on what I was going to talk about is the fact that uh, in the north um, of Ireland, they have 
devolution of employment law. Of, of course, they don't have a function in Stormont at the moment, but they do have the powers to change things like the national minimum wage and, and all these types of things, right? And imagine what the Scottish government could do, right, relatively quickly, like, you know, working towards a living wage for all, um, you know, actually getting rid of zero contracts. Although, which I've said many, many times, there's other ways that the Scottish government could essentially ban zero contracts. You know, please, thanks for coming to my TED talk again. But it's, you know, they could actually outlaw them straight away, right? They could start to work on the trade union uh, representation and, and what Scotland could do differently. But it's true what you're saying is, okay, if we're going to have a floor, right, which, which you know, Labour has spoken about before, that there should be a floor, and then devolution, they should be able to, to move things up, but they can't move things down, right? Great. Where's the plan for that? <laughs> We'd love to see it. Um, but unfortunately when you've got a situation like this where the Scottish government is putting this in the, the spotlight of something to be debated and then we've got Scottish Labour um, just not 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 turning out for it similarly too I think with the GRR bill too the Scottish Labour has pretty much ditched the the, the sort of court and the, the pushing for it haven't they as well um, so yeah there, there's just another example there but for for me, employment law is one of the massive economic levers that the Scottish government could have, and, and it could be a more progressive. It could actually have a huge impact on trying to help people with the cost of living and and basically the, the, the sheer exploitation that exists uh, in, in our in work in general, right? So it, it's just it's not surprising, but it's just really, really frustrating um that we have Labour, the party of Labour. The, the party born out of the, the, the traditional trade union movement, just not even not even the basics, not even the basics on this one. And I'm sure there's people behind the scenes that are really, really want to see this happening, but it, you need to be more vocal. This isn't, it's just not good enough. Um, and yeah, it's it's really, really disappointing, really, really frustrating. Um, and like I said, it's one thing that we the Scottish government could have the power of that could change people's lives really really quickly but that doesn't let the Scottish government off the hook with the powers that they do have at the moment um, and I would like to see more of that being used. I don't have an awful lot to add to this but in the course of um, course of kind of doing some research into the story there was two quotes that came out we mentioned the first one there that at the press conference that Sarwar and Starmer did uh, in the first one but said that Starmer said, whatever I say will be what Anis Sarwar says. I just could not believe he just came out and said that to reporters. I mean, it's just like, you know, God's sake, you're just pissing his mouth while you're at it. I mean, if a boss treated somebody the way Starmer treats Sarwar, you'd be telling them to take them to a tribunal. The absolute humiliating way that he treats, you know, Scottish Labour, but the leader of Scottish Labour, Anis Sarwar in particular, but Sarwar will suffer any indignity because he wants power just as shamelessly as the UK leadership. And between them, they will ditch any principle. And if they, if they think it will take them a step closer to power, because power is the goal. It's no the tool to achieve or implement any change or principles. It's just to be in charge. Um, and there was another quote for Sarwar that actually made me laugh when he said, this and this is a party referring to the SNP in terminal, de terminal decline. Scottish Labour has lost seats at every single Holyrood election. 
he led them to their worst ever result a year ago and get hailed as a hero for it. If that is not a party in terminal, terminal decline, then I don't know what is. It's absolutely bonkers that he can stand in front of people and say that with them laughing in his face. But that's Scottish Labour. Starmer should have just called Anna Sarwar a branch manager and just called it a day because that would have been, you know, that would have just been the icing on the cake for everyone. And, you know, there we are. And now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote, Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. The controversial Rosebank offshore development uh, off Shetland has been granted uh, consent by regulators. Located 80 miles west of Shetland, the Rosebank is the UK's largest untapped oil field and is estimated to contain up to 300 million barrels of oil. The plan has faced widespread criticism due to its impact on climate change. The oil and gas regulator, North Sea Transition Authority, said approval had been awarded in accordance with our published guidance and taking net zero considerations into account throughout the project's life cycle. Brian. Well, apparently we shouldn't be worried about this because Rishi Sunak said we're still going to hit net zero by 2050 because it's in the law. So I guess this is fine then, right? Not. Um, yeah, this is just... I mean, where do you even start with this one, right? So the argument from the right, which we'll start with, is you know to basically stop <clears throat> us buying oil from places like Russia or gas from Russia um, or from and then having more carbon to transport it here right like that's the biggest um, polluter is the transportation of fossil fuels from somewhere to another one um, not, not burning the fossil fuels the transport and that's the issue that's the issue it's the big trucks that the oil goes on that's the problem um, the the other thing is, which is always neglected to, to be talked about, because this this discussion is always done through, like, you know, the sort of the domestic use of, of fossil fuels. It's better to use this than have things shipped into us, okay? And on paper, that sounds great, but then what he forgets to say is that this oil will go into the markets and it will be sold and transported all over the world. So, I mean, the truck's going away, is that okay? But the truck's coming here, is that the problem? Um. So... Basically, this is just, I, I genuinely think, right, that see, even just going back to how politics was just before the pandemic, right, I don't think that this would have happened, right? I just don't think that we would be having this discussion because of the general consensus, okay, by by the sort of bigger parties, right? But it's almost like if you had shown someone this headline, right, of what's just happened, you know, five years ago, they would 
it would just be they would genuinely would be surprised, right? But because the sort of net zero discussion, the climate uh, discussion, and then this is me talking about at Westminster and at and, and politics between the, the major parties, is just light years away from where it was back then, and it just seems to be ever so slowly drip, 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 moving away. And now, you know, bang, we've ended up with with this new oil field, and now we're shifting away from net zero um, commitments, you know, just delaying everything by five years. And, you know, and you said this in the last podcast, Kat, I'm just, you know, so, so, so glad that Labour handed... Uh, the Tories, uh, the the Oxbridge by election, because the impact of these decisions that pol- politicians think it's okay just to to be turning on, you know, uh, these policies that will help clean our air and you know help not cause a uh, climate catastrophe is is almost like well, you know, if it's going to get us some votes and keep us another ten to twenty seats at the next election, then it's worth it. Um, and unfortunately, from what we've heard from Labour, you know, in, in the past year. Is very much like we won't give new oil licenses, but we will okay the ones that the Tories have already put into place. So, you know, that puts a big question mark over this one. So does that just mean that this goes ahead? Uh so you know, even if we vote, even if there is a new government in the next general election, are we still gonna see this go ahead and the the catastrophe that, that basically that, that will contribute towards and just doesn't make you feel very hopeful, does it? Uh, um, it does not. And and despite Rishi Sunak saying we're going to hit his uh, very relaxed net zero targets, he also says he's going to drain every last drop of North Sea oil. So, you know, there was that little tidbit that came out uh, right after the Rose Bank thing. And and to everyone in Labour and any political party, including the S&P, there are some people with dreadful views on oil and gas in my own party, um, saying that we need to have domestic oil, right? Rosebank Oilfield is developed by a Norwegian, Canadian, and Israeli company. Most of the profits, and I'm paraphrasing something someone else said on Twitter, so uh, thank you, whoever it was that I got it. Um most of the profit will flow to offshore shareholders at the expense of the UK taxpayer. So it will actually cost money uh, to subsidize these things. And the vast majority will never reach the UK energy system. And the UK energy system is, and including the Scottish energy system, could develop more and more renewables, which is the future, which are the things we talked about last week that the big energy companies want more certainty to develop renewables, but we need to get our grid, especially in Scotland, we need the power grid to be able to be up to um, using all the renewable energy that we can generate. So we don't need this. We don't, it doesn't help us. It costs us. It hurts the planet. And the only thing I can think of is that they're like, well, you know, if this ends humanity, they can't blame us afterwards. So screw it, you know? It's so, it's so infuriating. It's so infuriating. It makes me more angry than the, almost anything else right now. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this oil needs to be left in the ground. It's not just about the 69,000 barrels of oil a day that this will produce. It's, it's about the fact that other governments will take this as a green light to open oil fields that they were kind of thinking that, do you think we could get away with this? 
this is just another um, making it easier for them to do that. So it's the knock-on effect. It's not just this one oil field, it's what other oil fields around the world might now get developed because of this. And, you know, I, I think I've said before, I've got so little confidence in the UK's political system to deal with climate change. And the root of that is still the voting system. I'm not sure how many listeners we have in England, but my advice would be forget about party politics, put all your activism into changing the voting system. Because until that gets fixed, you know, nothing else is going to get fixed. Because we spoke a lot about Labour. Labour will chase the Tories as far to the right as they need to in order to, you know, satisfy this tiny wee um, clique of media barns that, that controls a lot of the, the discourse. You know, and if we had a different voting system, I think we'd have different voices speaking up. Um you know, the left of the Labour wouldn't have been driven out the same way because they would have somewhere to go, they could set up their own party and Labour would be worried about forcing them out because they would know that could happen and they would know they would be able to pull in a... They would maybe when they sweep to power, but they would be able to grab a, a number of seats that would cost Labour and force Labour to not charge to the right like seething lunatics. And, and there, there is proof of this, too, because if you look at the uh, election that's just happened in Spain, um, where the, the, you know, the polling was suggesting that the, 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 popul the Partido Popular, who is essentially the, the Conservatives, um, and Vox, who's the far right party, that it was looking like that they could form a government, that because people went out and voted in the droves um, and they voted for, you know, the, the, the PSEO, PSOE, who is similar to, to a Labour, and Sumar, which is a collection of, of the, the sort of left parties, um, they managed to deny that block uh, of, a, um, of a majority. And it's we don't know what that, what that government's going to look like when it's finally formed or if there's going to be another election in, at Christmas time. But what we can see is that with something where there is some representation, you know, a PR system where these types of things are taken into consideration and these types of things can be blocked. And if you're not happy with where a particular party is, is headed, particularly with issues like climate and things like that, then, you know, having a PR system, then um, majorities can actually be blocked. Have you tried to do that under first past the post? It's so difficult because you'll have all these... these um, safe seats that will that will that won't change hands and it's very unlikely that it's a lot harder to predict right so if you've got you know 40 percent of the, the the population is going to go and vote for a particular party but it depends on what seats they're in it, you know it just it, it, it's much much harder so you know i would absolutely just echo what you've said there david that for, for anybody who right across the uk is to really really channel the efforts into to to pr um if you're not in scotland and you're not in you know, uh, the north of Ireland, for example, where there is alternatives, um, that changing the voting system, we might start to see some changes in big, big headline policies like climate and and our economic setup. You know, um, I keep saying we had a house guest. Um, it was a uh, a man that works with my husband who lives down in Cambridge, and he said. Well, I think the S&P are going to be the kingmakers. I hope there's a lot of people down in England hoping for that. And, you know, I don't think the S&P support for proportional representation is a huge part of that. But I, I do think that it's something that we need to remember that 
both the parties that all three of us are in are for proportional representation. And maybe it's not put out there front and center enough in our election materials, but I, I think that it is something because otherwise people are like, well, who is going to save us than the Lib Dems, you know, <laughs> down in England? Um, th- who do they have to vote for? That's for PR. If if they're not already inclined to vote Green anyways, usually people say that they vote Lib Dem for that. And um, I saw something recently. I don't know if it's on Laura Koonsberg or something. They put a word cloud in front of the politician they're talking with. And the Lib Dems, Ed Davey was on there last week and it said like, don't know who, like that was the main thing, which kind of, you know, it could be worse, but it kind of sums up how I feel about the the Lib Dems down in England. Uh, are, are they English and Welsh Lib Dems? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's Welsh Lib Dems, yeah. I mean, one, one I mean, is it separate or is it together? Maybe similar to the Greens, where it's like a sort of umbrella. I don't know, but they've got one representative, one representative in the Senate. Hmm. I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, you saw sure. one something you said. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm just going to say the the, the Lib Dems had their chance for PR and blew it massively. Mm-hmm. They they went for the most watered down. Um, Former PR they could get the alternative vote system, which would have ben- benefited the Lib Dems, but not many other, uh, not much beyond that. Um, then put it to a referendum while entering into a massively unpopular government, and of course, people voted against it because they didn't like what the Lib Dems had done, and this was a good way of punishing them. Um, and as somebody who's massively in favour of PR, I voted against that for many reasons. And that was a huge golden opportunity, and they blew it big time. Mm. And but David, we just have to believe that Labour is lying to get into power, and then once they're in power, we have to trust that they're going to U-turn on all their election promises. Isn't that the way to vote and to believe it, in a political party and support it? That, and that is as true now as it was in nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah, and and just quickly touching on the uh, word cloud. Uh, that, that Kat mentioned, which also means the fact that it was the Lib Dems conference this week. I don't know if anybody's seen any coverage of it. The funniest thing in the chat, because we have a chat, obviously, for Holyrood when we're chatting about it, is that Lib Dem conference was not mentioned once until the agenda was actually secured, which is which is funny in itself because there's been hardly any coverage. But they did see the word cloud, so the big I didn't didn't know basically don't know what you stand for, don't know who you are, things like that it was really funny. Guess what Rishi Sunak's biggest word was? Because that was on Coonsburg. This morning was it rich yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um which i thought was really really funny but um yeah i think the word cloud thing's great I'm looking forward to seeing what starmers is will it be u-turn who knows so the or word cloud is, is words that people use about him yes right it's funny though I'll, i thought it was a word cloud the of link. things they were saying so i was like god what banal phrase do they keep repeating no it's like a family feud where they ask a hundred people on the street. No, I don't know exactly how they do it, but I think they ask people to, to describe the person in one word. Well, I guess don't know counts as one word. <laughs> we call it family fortunes over here. Family fortunes, yeah. Oh, that's not as good of a name. <laughs> well, our tolerance and multiculturalism only goes so far. So please assimilate to <laughs> our way of doing things. Okay. 
My apologies. Nuclear family feud. There we go. Yes. And our final topic this evening. From Monday the 2nd of October, which is tomorrow as we're recording this, ScotRail's peak fare prices will be removed in a bid to encourage a higher number of rail travellers. The move was confirmed by Transport Minister Fiona Hislop on Wednesday, who said the scheme will be initially until March 29th, 2024, and will help towards the government's net zero targets. She said the programme for government makes clear our commitment to encourage a shift towards sustainable transport. We know that there is much to be done in encouraging people back to rail if we are to achieve our net zero targets. This peak fare removal pilot is aimed at achieving this by making ticketing simpler with off-peak fares valid all day. This is an exciting and a unique opportunity to encourage more people to choose a safe, reliable and greener form of public transport. Cat. More of this, please. Uh, happy October 1st. It is the first, uh, first day of short-term let um regulation and it's the last day of peak rail fares kind of because sundays yeah, don't have peak i rail, think i think i think i saw this the sky falling in that's why i knew that was happening i mean this is wonderful this is just it's great and i hope it's a pilot project so i hope it lasts I'm just going to I'm just going to pass it over to Brian because I know he has a lot to say on this. I'm just very happy to have something happy and good to talk about. You've got a lot to say, Brian, so start saying. Yeah, it. okay, I'm I'm ready to go now. Uh no, I just want to say that I was annoyed I think I used the phrase annoyingly keen to talk about this because as someone who uses trains a lot um and lived all around Scotland um, including the northeast, and had to rely on trains. Something that I'm really, really happy to see. It was good. I mean, when the idea was sort of floated, I mean, it's been kind of bouncing around for a few years now. Um, and this is is really, really good news. But I really, really hope the Scottish government don't rest on their laurels on this one because this is just like step one, <laughs> um, to be making the radical change that we need when it comes to public transport. Um, so, I work in Glasgow, okay, work in higher education. And obviously when you're teaching, right, classes finish at like five o'clock, right? Um I don't tend to teach first thing in the morning, okay? But I do have to travel home. But basically if you buy an off peak ticket, you can't travel until after half past six at night, right? Unless you pay for a top up, right? From from Glasgow back to back to Polker. So that will completely revolutionise me getting home like an hour and a half early, which I'm really chuffed about um, because I'm not willing to pay extra for it. Um, and of course, when I do have early classes, that's, you know, it's an option to, to get the train through in the morning rather than me having to drive. OK, um, and then park nearby and then, you know, get get a train in. So, for example, I might drive to Rutherglen where I used to live and then get the train in because it works out so much cheaper. Um, loads of people have been like, my friends are equally excited about this, right? This is like basically I, I I don't have much of a life anymore, okay? And this is what I get excited about. But a lot of my people, a lot of my people, have been contacting me and they're like, oh, like you know, will we will we be able to use our rail cards? No, you can. You can't use them until after ten o'clock, right? Unfortunately, reason for that is because it's a it's an old British air uh, British railway um policy. So the Scottish government doesn't have direct control over that. So you will get the off-peak train times, but you will not get discount using your rail cards until after 10 o'clock, right? Which is still, you know, it's not great, but 
it's, it's better, right? So this really should be like the step one, in my opinion. So we've got rid of peak fares. Peak fares shouldn't have existed in the first place. Right. You know, it's just ridiculous that <clears throat> because more people need to be at an office for nine o'clock that we should pay almost twice as much. Right. It's just it's just ridiculous. It's not a very public transport um, approach. Right. What we need to start looking at now is reducing the off peak um, prices more than what they currently are. They are still quite expensive in comparison to, to some places. You know, if you in Spain publicly owned uh, rail travel. Uh, I remember a few years ago, <clears throat> probably about, uh, about six years ago, um, me and Glenn were in Barcelona. We got the train down to Salou, nice popular holiday resort. Train took about two hours and we were about eight, nine quid each on that, you know, long, long journey of high-speed rail as well. So it's about moving towards cheaper uh, off-peak uh, prices, but also it's about expanding the, the reach of the state when it comes to public transport so they can be integrated. You can start having, you know, tickets that like TFL in London where you can use them on tubes, buses, trams, all this kind of thing. And I think it's just, it makes it so much cheaper when everything's all linked together. So in my opinion, yes, this is great. Super, super excited about it. I am going into Glasgow tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to the whole experience of just buying my ticket. Um, and more of this, please. But also, this is a six-month trial. I'm worried about how they're going to kind of deem what success is as well. Um, but basically, we should be having a more public transport approach to public transport. So please don't be like, oh, you know, 10% people are, more people are using the trains. Yeah, well, of course, that's what we want over the longer term, right? But the way that we can increase the capacity of trains even more is by making it more accessible, cheaper, integrated and linking it with buses and 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 trams and, and and all these kind of things so it's really just about making public transport properly publicly owned public transport and i hope everyone's excited about it as i am i, I doubt it like i can feel I, and glenn um, glenn is, is not as excited as i am david you don't look as enthusiastic as i am about this right now but you know it's a good thing and it's nice to talk about something really really positive can I just add something before David pops in? There's a lot of things that will be a big splash to the government. The government will do this and Scottish child payment, which is wonderful, and adult disability payment, which is wonderful. People with no recourse to public funds can't access this. So this off-peak train fare thing is such a big deal because everyone who lives here gets that discount. So I just, as the no recourse per for public funds person on the podcast i i just wanted to add that maybe that's why i look more excited than david well i was just going to say yep yeah, it's great news uh i wish i used trains more regularly these days than i did in the past because I would, I would be definitely more excited about it like back when i was at uni and i went in and out in the train every day or when i lived in Cambridge lang and lived near the train station um you know off peak is still expensive enough and you know I always just felt as if peak fees were just sort of price gouging for commuters. Um, you can understand if there was peak and they're like saying, well, we're using the market to try and convince people to travel at different times and instead of everybody putting pressure traveling at once. But in reality, we all know that everybody was traveling at their times because that's when people had to travel at their times for, for work reasons. So it wasn't like, oh, let's make it cheaper and people will decide, I'll just go into work two hours late. Because most works, what, are they going to allow that? Um, 
actually re- remind my story when you were talking about flexibility of workers. I saw a TikTok where somebody was complaining about their job because they made a big deal about flexible working being available and what that meant when they tried to like come in later was they still had to be there between nine and five, but they got to choose if they came in two hours early or two hours late. So you still had to work full time. You just got to choose when to do overtime. Um, unpaid, I think. But if you want a greener future, we need to make trains the, the kind of gold standard for, for transport. You know, it has to be high quality, low cost, you know, you know, short distance so that people can do without cars and long distance so we can do without planes. And I was going to talk about um, trains in Catalonia as well because um, where I I'm, where my friend used to live, I I went I go to visit quite a lot. It's a forty five minute train north of um, Barcelona, and I don't even know how much it costs because it's literally it's a kind of amount that you don't really register. It's like I'll 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 see if I've got enough change to pay for it rather than digging into your wallet or using your card you know it's it's literally like a few euros uh, for a 45 minute journey whereas here you know god you'd be selling off a first, your first born to afford a long journey if it was just like turning up uh, last minute uh, and this is exactly the right policy in terms of um, green policies to go for because there's been a kind of concerted effort to paint green policies if they're so expect going to be expensive to the average citizen, you know, and and the, the climate crisis is somehow it's an either or it's at odds with the cost of living crisis, but it kind of this kind of shows you this is the kind of policy that will tackle both at the same time, because not only is it great for green reasons to, you know, have more people using trains, you know, this is like effectively a huge tax cut for a huge cross-section of workers, you know, and if you're low paid, the money you're going to save for commuting into your work is is going to be an, an even bigger proportion of your disposable income. Um, so, yeah, exactly. This is the right kind of policy to be going for and, you know, more of the same. Yeah, I've got a colleague who is from Luxembourg, which obviously has the, the free uh, public transport and it's all integrated, it's all publicly owned. Um, and, you know, they were in a similar situation to Scotland where the, the, the uh, car reliance was really, really high and they had, like, you know, disparate privately owned um, public transport and it was all a bit of a mess, it was really expensive. Um, and now it's, like, it's just something that the people of Luxembourg wouldn't want to lose. So, it's you know, it becomes a really important sort of, political stance for if anyone was ever to to challenge that or try and remove it almost like the nhs to to some extent anyway um in the uk where it's like you know we want to have this and we so if we were to get to a position where we had integrated free <clears throat> accessible public transport it would become like an institution like the nhs where people don't want to lose it um, and if you want to to move away from from cars you you want to you know achieve net zero this is one of the biggest things you could do and it's you know people say that sort of daft thing about being anti-car well it's not anti-car it's pro public transport and basically the, the demand for using a car will just collapse because everyone's like well you know some people may have to drive people in some remote areas but if you've got public owned public transport which is servicing the needs of people you probably won't need a car you know um 
or most people might not need a car. So it's just about pro-public transport policies that will basically remove the need for people to have cars. That's why so little people in, in, in London would have a car because the public transport is so good. You know, you miss a tube, there's another one in three minutes. That just doesn't happen anywhere outside of the main cities. Edinburgh, loading buses, publicly owned, great service, cheap, accessible, 24 hours a day, all that kind of stuff. And this is what we need right across the, the whole of Scotland. And um, that would would actually be the envy of, of the rest of the UK where people are like, why can't we have that? You know, that's what we want. And the, this type of thing just grows arms and legs and, and people think, you know, this would save me so much money. It would come back the cost of um, cost of living. You can tell I'm excited about this. It's just, you know, it's the start of something beautiful. And I hope the Scottish government will, will not let, uh, rest on their laurels and see more of this and more more radical policies like this that's inclusive for everybody, like you say, Cam. And also, the, the people that would, you know, Tories that would sort of be against this, they style themselves like the champions of business, but, you know, you have a really good public transport system. That's excellent for business. You know, having a public transport system that runs through the night is amazing if if you run a, a bar or a, night, a nightclub, because who, who wants to go to a nightclub if at the end of the night you're going to have to hang about for like an hour and a half you know it's pay through the nose for a taxi to try and get home you know like um, so again this idea that you know green policies are at odds with business or are at odds with cost of living it's just not true it's just again sort of fake culture wars that that is so fashionable amongst right wing people to start and it is fa- fascinating as well that you've got this new trial which is huge and, and really exciting is happening tomorrow and we've got the start of the Tory conference where there's a big question mark over you know uh, the HS2 which is costing you know, way in the excess of 100 billion which might only connect the west of London to, to Birmingham at this rate so it just kind of shows that there is the tale of two governments and this is not to romanticise so much I'm very critical of the Scottish government but this is quite a polar sort of example of where we're starting to see um, real differences on public transport. Of course, I'd love to see northeast rail and and you know high speed rail across Scotland. Yes, we need it. Um, but it's nice to see something like this sort of uh, be the polar opposite between the two governments. I'd love to see northeast rail get the go ahead. Me too. You know, I didn't realize that the the train that went from like the Scottish borders up up across the Firth was it across the Firth that it just opened I think it opened after I moved here um because I go to yeah I take the train when I do take the train it's to Burnt Island or usually just to visit friends whose flats I can probably almost see for mine that are only seven miles away but I you know have to take the train I I would never ever go to Fife I would never see it. and it's a lovely place to visit I like Burnt Island um so yeah I think the whole 15 minute neighborhoods and and it is a privilege to be able to live somewhere where I don't have to own a car. I recognize that. Um, I just, I really have a soft spot for campaign for Northeast Rail in my heart. I really hope that they are able to push forward as soon as possible with, with these plans. Definitely. And, and more, more trams in different cities and, you know, accessible public transport. Yay. Yeah, I, I didn't learn to drive till 2015, and that was because we lived in Campus Lang. It was great because it was a main street, so it had good connections. Like there was a bus stop outside the train train station just down the road. But when we're having to move and get 
you know, a bigger house, you know, it didn't, it limited us too much in terms of, well, we need to find somewhere that's connected to public transport. So my wife had a car already because she needed it for work. So it just made sense for me to learn to drive because otherwise we couldn't, we might not be able to afford, been able to afford a house with this extra sort of level of uh, extra requirements, basically. Um, and if we had a fully functioning, excellent public transport system, we wouldn't have had to take that into account and I probably wouldn't have learned to drive. Anyway, is any of the get any questions about the Roman Empire? We just saw a re I just read a Mary Beard article. They interviewed Mary Beard and I was like, oh, more about the Roman Empire. <laughs> it's, and now it's in the news all the time. And every time it is, I notice it. It's very funny. I'm not hearing any questions. No. 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 I would love to I would love for David to have ungagged Roman Empire chat on a solo podcast. That's got to be a spin-off. Yeah, talking yeah, talking sense about the Roman Empire. That's what you need to do. Oh boy, I don't know. Maybe we'd have to have David guest host that, and I just don't have much to say on it. <laughs> I just don't think about it that often. Maybe it's because I lived in the Middle East as well as I think of a lot of the things that are that we I didn't hear about growing up, but that were structural forms of society from from not. Roman, well, maybe Roman Empire after they took over, but they borrowed from other empires. Of course, under Trajan, the Roman Empire stretched right into the Middle East. I I accounted for that. I caveated my statement. Look at you guys. Just I'm just so happy to have a positive political note to end on. I'm just very happy about that. Yeah, it me was, too. And I managed to keep it positive, didn't I? Yeah. The dark cloud to, to, to. Well, you're not done talking under. yet. That's true. Maybe we should just stop talking now. Because <laughs> don't do I'm it. Actually, I've actually just get messages saying the Rangers manager's just been sacked. So that's another Wait, positive that's note good, for me. Right? Yeah. Well, well, for for me, yes, I'm sure we might have a couple of viewers out there or listeners that maybe aren't happy. But in fact, what am I talking about? Even Rangers fans are happy. You get sacked. So it's good news for everybody, apart from Mr. Beale and his family, I suppose. On that note. <laughs> you can Except find... for his family and children. His little children. <laughs> you can find all of our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles, and you can sign up for our free newsletter. Also check out the Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, you can tweet us at underscore ungagged, hashtag Hollywood ungagged, or send us an email, ungaggedleft at gmail.com, putting Hollywood ungagged in the subject line. You can also join our Signal group. We have a thriving community where you can chat to all of us here and get involved with ungagged. So get in touch on any social media platform. And if you like this um, podcast, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Until then, have fun, be good, and be lucky. Bye. Bye.